Well, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, and that to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, as we continue through Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, apart from your spirit, we are unable to hear nor see. We ask that you would illumine our minds and so shine the light of your word into our hearts as we sit now under the preaching of your word. We believe in the Holy Spirit and we believe that you are able to work in us that which you require. Edify and encourage your church. Save and have mercy on those who are perishing. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus, having narrowly escaped death in his own hometown, departed Nazareth and made his way up to the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he came to a place called Capernaum. And it was a city by the sea. Which is why Luke tells us that while Jesus had to travel up north, that he went down, if you look at verse 31, he went down to Capernaum. And it's because Nazareth being built on a hill was 1,200 feet above sea level, while Capernaum was 680 feet below sea level. And so it was a descent to Capernaum. Now I mention that because Luke, in in narrating the life and the ministry of Jesus, is not careless about his details. But he's rather very precise. He is one of the greatest historians of his time. But what we need to know about Luke is this. He is not only a historian, but more so, a theologian. And that of the highest order. The composition of his gospel does not, does not follow a strict chronological order. The events in which he provides for us, they don't always sequentially take place one after another. For example, you'll notice in chapter 4, verse 38, that he enters in the house of Peter or Simon, as he's called here, and he heals, Jesus heals his mother in law. But then as you move through Luke, Peter is given the call to follow Jesus in Luke chapter 5. And so those two incidents are not in order. And the reason being is because Luke, more than giving us a chronological history, is teaching us sound theology. And that of Christ. To show us who Christ really is. This is Luke's objective. His objective is to reveal to his friend Theophilus the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
that he might have certainty and be assured in the faith. And so, what did we learn from the story that took place in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth? That Jesus is God's anointed, the very Messiah whom the saints of old have been eagerly waiting and longing to come. Not to give men and women a temporary salvation, but a lasting salvation unto eternity. To save sinners from their wretched condition. Those who are poor. Those who are blind. Those who are held captive. Those who cannot help themselves, but need a Savior to come and to set them free. Free from sin and guilt and death. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, said Jesus. I've come not to call the righteous, but he said, but sinners to repentance. Well, what does Luke now want to teach us in the city of Capernaum? And it's this, that Jesus has the authority. The authority to set those who are imprisoned and those who are held in bondage free. Not only from sin and guilt and death, but from our greatest adversary, the devil. I have two points for us this afternoon, and I'll give them as we go. And the first is this, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You'll notice that Luke's story begins as Jesus left Nazareth and he went down to Capernaum. Now, as Jesus left his hometown, never to return, if you remember, it appears that Jesus found somewhat of a new home in Capernaum. After being rejected in Nazareth, he had a different reception in Capernaum. And that city, the name of the city, literally means the village of comfort or the village of repentance. A sign of what would take place in this town. You see, Capernaum was also a fishing village. And it was here that Jesus encountered a group of fishermen named Peter and his brother Andrew and James and and John. And not only these fishermen, but a man despised by the Jewish community, a tax collector whose booth was also stationed there. And he would go on to write, like Luke, his own account of the gospel, the gospel of Christ. And he gives us this detail in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 that when Jesus got into a boat and crossed over the Sea of Galilee, He came into His own city. You see, Jesus spent so much time doing ministry in Capernaum that Matthew considered it to be Jesus' home city. And we find that when He came, He went about His usual activity, entering into the synagogue and preaching the gospel of God's salvation. This is what He did in Nazareth. And this is what he did in Capernaum. It was another city. It was another Sabbath. It was another sermon. This was the regular ongoing ministry of Christ and the manner in which he chose to communicate the gospel by preaching, by preaching. But here in Capernaum, while preaching in the synagogue, something unusual occurred. There in the midst of those listening, a voice rang out, Ha! What in the world, right? Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? It was the voice of a demon. Now, I've never heard the voice of a demon, 
And I'm not confident to say that it sounded like the kind of voices you hear in scary movies. But it was clear that in the congregation was a man whose voice was that of a demon. And that he was possessed. Luke tells us that he had the spirit of an unclean demon. Now, in order to know more of this supernatural occasion, we need to be clear what it was not. Demon possession was not an ordinary sickness or a natural defect or a disease in a person. Although sometimes symptoms accompanied demon possession, sickness by itself was not it. It was also not a form of mental illness or even insanity or delusion as some have wrongly alleged. But rather, demon possession was a special phenomenon. It was a supernatural occurrence. These unclean spirits were personal beings that came and took over a person's body to manifest themselves. And that manifestation was evident as they spoke and as they cried out, as they provided intimate knowledge of the Lord Jesus, as they showed emotion such as fear. Now here's the thing. When we take a survey through approximately 4,000 years of history in the Old Testament, there is not one mention of a person possessed by a demon. Now that is not to say that there were no demons at the time. Absolutely not. They were very much in the world having influence in other ways and influencing nations and people groups as implied in the book of Daniel. But in the manner in which they possessed a person, we don't find one. Only when we come to the New Testament and exclusively in the Gospels and two occurrences in the book of Acts, is there a demonic outbreak? And the question, the question is why? It's because there is a story, and that story begins even before the events that took place in the garden. When the first sin was committed, not in Adam and Eve, but in the anointed cherub who was positioned upon the holy and heavenly mountain of God. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 14 tells us, perfect were his ways from the day he was created until, until iniquity was found in him. You see, the devil at one time lived in the presence of his creator. But due to his pride, he rebelled against God. And as a result, Satan and the angels who followed in revolt with him were hurled down to the earth. And having been cast down from that heavenly abode, he knew immediately where he needed to go. And there at the garden, the tempter went to work. And he would prevail. Sin had entered the human race through one man. And as a result, all had fallen. And the garden of God's kingdom to whom Adam was entrusted was turned over, in a sense, to the devil. No longer the kingdom of God, but rather the kingdom of darkness. You can say that the keys of the kingdom were given over to the evil one. And the world ever since has not been the same. It has lived under His dominion, His rule 
His reign. He is, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 states, the prince of the power of the air. 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so from the fall, the entire world has been under his control. And living in this fallen world, the human race, the human race are citizens of his kingdom, rebelling against God just like their prince. But there in the garden was a promise, the promise of a deliverer, an offspring who would rescue and redeem, a seed who would crush the head of the devil, one who would, in essence, take back the kingdom and bring it to its rightful place. And so it has been the objective of the devil to eliminate and destroy this Savior. And all through human history, he attempted and he tried, but he failed. But yet he saved his best devices for last. When Jesus entered into the sphere of the human race, the devil delivered his greatest assault. He unleashed all of his demonic forces against him. Where the powers of darkness were let loose and that to wreak havoc. Well, how did Jesus respond? Having been baptized, as we saw in Luke, as the representative man, And standing in their place, the Holy Spirit, remember, descended upon him. And at the outset of his ministry, he went in the power of the Holy Spirit to the very place in which Adam fell. Where the devil had formerly prevailed, Jesus went to the place of temptation. And where it took one temptation to ruin all of mankind, the devil tempted Jesus with three. But Jesus stood faithful. Jesus was unwavering in obedience to his Father. And where there, he he triumphed over the devil. It was the Savior's battle cry. I have come. I have come to seek and save that which was lost. And he came to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and to establish the kingdom of God. He came to dispel the darkness. He said in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. You see, this is a clash of two opposing kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God's Son. But we know, we know, you see, we know who has the victory. The battle has been decided. It was Zechariah the priest from Luke chapter 1 who prophesied this about the Christ, that He is the sunrise. That He is the sunrise who shall visit us from on high to give light to those, and hear this now, to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. This is the reason for which Jesus came. To give light to those who dwell in darkness to overturn the devil's reign. 1 John 3.8 says, For this reason the Son of God was revealed in order to destroy the works of the devil. You see, Jesus is on a rescue mission to take sinners and redeem them from the kingdom of darkness and to bring them into the kingdom of light. To overthrow the darkness. And although the battle has been decided, the devil was not going to go down without a fight. You see, whispering just but a few lies wasn't going to do. 
Rather, the devil mustered his demonic army, mobilized them against Jesus, and here was his satanic attack to enter into individuals, seizing command of their bodies and their minds. Well, why? Why demon possession? You see, this is what the devil was saying by possessing with his demons, men and women. He was declaring that this world was his. This kingdom is mine. I possess the power over these subjects. You see, the devil is proud. And he refuses to relinquish the kingdom. And this is why there was an unprecedented level of demonic activity when Jesus came. The devils and his demons were desperate to hold on to the kingdom. Now let me say this. The world still lies in the power of the evil one. It is yet a present reality. 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Although the war has been decided and that the battle has been won, the conflict, the conflict is ongoing. Which is why Paul tells us, Ephesians 6.12, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers. And notice what Paul says, over this present darkness. C.S. Lewis, he said there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased. The devils, they are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. You see, there are churches who sway into the extreme of unhealthy interest. But I think possibly our church would tend to sway in the direction of the other. We live our lives thinking there is no conflict. That there is no spiritual war. Our tendency is to fix our eyes on the things that are seen and not unseen. Beloved, we need to be vigilant. And we need to seek the help of the Holy Spirit that we might resist the schemes of the devil. And you may be thinking right now, I'm a little bit spooked, Pastor Danny. And you may be thinking, well, can a Christian be possessed by a demon? The answer is no. The devil can assault you and afflict you and tempt you and seek to influence you. But the devil and his caste can never possess you. It's because for those who are in Christ, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19. And here's the thing. There can be no fellowship with light and darkness. What we know is that Christ has absolute no agreement with Belial. You see, if Christ is in you, 1 John 4.4 says that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Which ought to then encourage us, I think, and drive us towards holiness in every facet of our lives. You see, we Christians, we have been bought with a price. 
our bodies are not our own. Therefore, we ought to glorify God in our bodies. Which means we live our lives as under the influence of the Spirit and not of the devil. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, let me say this. You see, your predicament is not a matter of living in fear of a demon possibly possessing your body. That would be a misplaced fear. Rather, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, at the end of the day, it is the Lord God, your Maker, who holds you accountable and responsible for your unbelief against Him. The soul who sins will die, says the Lord. You cannot simply say that the devil made me do it. You see, God in His love sent His very Son to not, to not only destroy the works of the devil, but to save sinners. You see, this salvation He accomplished by His life and death and resurrection. He proved to be the perfect substitute. His life for ours by His perfect obedience. Even in the wilderness, when all the odds were against Him, when the powers of hell assaulted Him, He never gave in and He never sinned. But He came out of that wilderness triumphant. And He went to the cross, bearing the price of sin, receiving the very wrath of God. And He died, was buried, but on the third day was raised to life. Death couldn't defeat Him. The devil had no hold on Him. And all that He has accomplished, the saving benefits found only in Christ, He offers and He gives to those who receive Him by faith to those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. That's whom you should fear. That's where your attention ought to be. Now notice as we come back to the synagogue in Capernaum that an assault by the devil was taking place in the form of possession. And it shouldn't surprise us that the devil attempted to disrupt, of all things, a worship service, right? It's because the devil never misses a worship service. He wants to do anything and everything to distract us and to dissuade us. And right here in the middle of the service, the demon, he cried out, Ha! Now it's not that he was laughing like, Aha! I got you now, Jesus. But it was more of an agonizing scream. And that to leave them alone. Go away, as translated in the NIV, if you use that translation. Let us alone in the King James. But notice here, this demon speaks in the plural. What have you to do with us? Although in this man was a single demon, the whole demonic realm had come to interfere with the coming of Jesus. It was strength in numbers. But the reality was that all, all the powers of hell were of no match. Yes, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, but God is sovereign and God is in control. This isn't dualism where we have equal, equal opposing forces. No, no. This is really God's world. And He truly is the ruler yet, who in His providence has given it over to the power of the evil one. 
And so in this service, this demon cried in misery. This demon couldn't help but cry in misery. He had come in direct contact with the holy, with its very creator and maker, who knew his very power. He said, have you come to destroy us? You see, this evil being, this demon knew its fate. His days were numbered. That, that reserved for him was a place of unending, everlasting torment. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, this demon knew exactly who was preaching in that pulpit that Sabbath day. And you see, within that congregation, no one, no one had a better knowledge, a better understanding of who Jesus was than this demon. His understanding was only biblical. Yet despite that he spoke truth, he was filled with hatred. This was the message that came from James, if you remember, that there are some in the church who profess one thing, yet live altogether a different thing, that there exists a false dissonance in their lives, just like demons. He said in James, you believe God is one, you do well, for even the demons believe and tremble. And I think this is why there is such a strong condemnation from Scripture, especially from the lips of Jesus on the sin of hypocrisy. It's because it impersonated the nature of a demon. The demon was a hypocrite. And if we were there in Capernaum, sitting in the pews, and this demon in possession of a man began to speak, I don't doubt that we would have all, including myself, would have been just a little bit worried and afraid, right? But notice that it's the demon who was afraid, utterly terrified of the Holy One of Israel. But there's something that should have caused an even greater fear for all who were there in that synagogue. It was, the, it was the very manner in which Jesus dispelled that demon. Verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? And here we have our second point. If Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, how did He do it? And here's the answer. By His simple Word. This is astounding, church. All that the Holy One of Israel had to do was simply speak and the demonic chaos there in that synagogue was over. This powerful demonic being who had coerced this man, overtaken this man, had no chance to resist. By the word of his maker, he had to obey. Isn't that interesting? This demon whose very existence is to rebel and disobey couldn't help but to do the Lord's command and to obey. You see, there is something that we need to know 
about Jesus here, which Luke wants to show us. In that this Jesus, the Holy One of Israel, exercises His power and His authority by His Word. Here is God's anointed, the Messiah, God's very Son, who has come down from heaven into our existence, who possesses all authority and all power and all dominion in which the demons tremble in His presence. And this is how He exercises His authority. This is how He wields that power. Not by calling forth an uncountable number of angels. Not by displaying some dramatic demonstration. Not by physical strength or force. But just by His Word. Which is why the people there in the synagogue, they were amazed. They were taken back. They were reeling. And they said, what is this Word? Word. What is this Word in which we have never observed ever before? And Luke, notice he tells us, even in the beginning of this story, the very power and force of His Word. How many times did a rabbi come into Capernaum week after week, year after year, come into the synagogue and teach whatever he deemed was spiritually helpful? But with Jesus it was different. They were, look at verse 32, chapter 4, astonished at His teaching. For His Word possessed authority. Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, it says that when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as everybody else, the scribes. It was unlike the teaching they had heard before. For His Word had authority. It's as if they were hearing the very voice of God. And as they looked upon Jesus, they asked, what is this Word? It's because He was and He is the Word. He was and is the Word who was with God and who is God. That's why they were so amazed. He is the very Word. He was and is true God of true God. And that demon had zero chance to not conform. God spoke His will and His will be done. It says Martin Luther wrote in his well-known hymn, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. And here it is. One little word shall fell him. One little word. Vanquished the devil. We find ourselves astonished. Because the Holy One of God accomplishes His will by His Word. You see, by His Word, all that is made came into being. When we go back to creation, all that is made came into being by His Word. Psalm 33, 6, By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their host. Let there be, He said, and whatever He said, that there be, it came to be. And that by His Word. He now, He upholds 
the universe by the word of His power. Hebrews 1.3 And what Luke wants to show us is the very power of His word. You see, that Jesus' ministry is a ministry of His word. Not only in bringing all of creation into being, but in the casting out of a demon. And not only in the casting out of a demon, but notice what he'll do in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, in healing Peter's mother-in-law. He rebuked the fever. He didn't give her Tylenol. He rebuked the fever by his word. You see, by his word, he will cast out demons. And by his word, he will heal the sick. And Jesus performed all these miracles, not so that our attention would be placed upon the demon or the sickness or whatever it may be, but that our wonder would be placed upon His Word. What is His Word? What is this Word? And upon healing Peter's mother-in-law, notice what Jesus goes back to doing. Luke chapter 4, verse 44. He goes back to preaching. He went back to preaching the Word. This is the ministry of Jesus. This is how our Lord exercised His authority and power. And beloved, if we as His subjects have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son, how then are we to live under His rule? There's only one way. By His Word in submission to His Word, in living our lives in accordance with His Word. And this is why it is imperative that we read the Word and that we hear the Word, that we might obey the Word, that our lives within our homes and in our workplaces and within our schools, the decisions that we make with our money, the manner in which we spend our time, who we choose to marry, and how we love our family, every ambition, every goal would be centered around the Word. Why? It's because our worship is centered around the Word. We began our worship service today by reading the Word. And we'll close this very service in the same way. And most of the service, if not all of the service, is the Word. And you see, Christian, this must be our way of life, not just sometimes, but all the time. That we would occupy our time meditating upon the Word and communing through His Word and fellowshipping over His Word. Christian, can I ask you this? Have you lost the priority of God's Word? How are you going to, in this life, resist the schemes of the devil? Ephesians 6 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may, be, you may be able to stand, that you may be able to resist against the schemes of the devil. And this means fastening on the belt of truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, putting on the readiness of the gospel of peace, taking up the shield of faith, taking on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is how we live. but I'm so afraid that there are some, there might even be many, that have no awareness of this kind of life. No awareness that there is a fight. 
no awareness that there is a conflict. But they've become so preoccupied with the things that are seen and have lost all sense in the things that are unseen that they have forgotten to whose kingdom they belong. Beloved, how does Jesus exercise His rule and His reign? By His Word. And church, let us then be faithful to obey it, to live in such a way to be possessed by it. And let us confess as the psalmist in Psalm 119 said, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see why He said that? Because apart from it, he would have remained in the darkness. Beloved, it's how we live as children, not in the kingdom of darkness, but of the light. You know, while while the demon, he cried out, remember what the demon said? He said, what have you to do with us? You see, if we, we in turn, we want everything to do with him. We want everything to do with Him. And we come to Him through His Word. Let's pray together. Sovereign and Almighty God, we thank You that in Your grace You have spoken to us through Your clear and authoritative Word. Your Word which commands us. Your Word which rules us. Your Word which sanctifies us. And we readily confess that we have not lived in faithful submission to it, but have lived in accordance to an altogether different kingdom. Remind us that we have been brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Your Son, and that we are heirs with Christ, and that we belong not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so would we live in faithful obedience to the King? Spur in us a greater desire to love and to serve You. And we would live possessed not by this world, nor anything in it, or even the One who rules over it, but possessed by Christ. Because that's who we are. We are His. And we pray all this in the name of the Father who has given to us the Son, and to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. All glory be to our God. Amen.